If you could ask God anything, what would you ask? Life is full of big questions. In his brand new book, Will I Be Fat in Heaven? and Other Curious Questions, J. John answers 38 questions that we ask about God, the Bible, the world, and everything in between. How can God the Father, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit be one? Why do we believe the Bible is true? Will we recognize family and friends in heaven? And life's ultimate question, does God care about me? Get your copy now at canonjjohn.com. Welcome to this week's podcast. My guest on Facing the Canon is Celia Apieje Collins, pastor, teacher and leadership coach. Celia Apieje Collins, welcome to Facing the Canon. Thank you so much, Canon J. Oh, Thanks I'm delighted much. to have you here. Where were you born, Celia? I was born in Accra, Ghana, West Africa. And you grew up there? I grew up there for now, 20-something years. And I recall a story where you drove your mother to church, but you then began to drive back home because you wanted to go to the beach. And on the way back home, a voice spoke to you. Mm -hmm. Tell us about that. A voice spoke to me. I, th I stopped at the traffic light and I, I thought I heard a voice say, if you go to the beach, you're not going to come back alive because you walked away from God's presence. So I remember rushing home and it was like a church where you couldn't have makeup on, you couldn't have um, um, your hair without the covering. So I went, I put a scarf on, I took the nail polish off, wiped the makeup off my face and I just rushed there. Uh, and, and that was the beginning of an adventure with God because I, I, nothing particularly happened on the day. I was just so scared. I left a message from my friend saying, listen, when my friends come, just tell them I'm not going to the beach. I've gone to church. And then I remember sometime after that, I was just in my room. I just developed a, a desire to read God's word. And then one day I felt like writing down my sins. And I remember writing down 21 sins. Looking back now, I think I, I know that was a salvation experience because there's no way I would have written those things down. So when you first heard the voice, Celia, were, were you quite disturbed? I was scared. Scared? Yes. And it was... It, it, it wasn't was... a loud voice. I think to me it was a loud voice because I thought I heard it in my ear. It's just this, this presence, this voice that wasn't outside but in. And then years later... Um, you were in ministry and um, your church sent you back to Ghana yeah. to pastor a church. And there, were only, and there were only few few people then, weren't there? Well, there wasn't anybody. Nobody? Nobody. I started from zero because I was church planting. So I would stand by the Kiliwili as a, as a fried plantain seller and I'd preach the gospel. Amazing. And I'd invite people. You know, when you're full of zeal, you don't have time to think of embarrassment, rejection. You don't. You're just full of love for God. Absolutely. This morning I prayed. I said, God, give me back that passion. Give me back that zeal. I want it. I want to be so in love with you. I don't care about anything else but pleasing you. And that's what's the spirit that drove me. I like, I like the story, Celia, of uh, when the church got to around about 100. Um, one of the elders of the church uh, argued with you at the end of a service. <laughs> And um, you, you realise, you confess to yourself, uh, I know how to pray, 
I know how to pastor, but I really don't know how, how to, to lead. lead. So you then went and bought books on leadership. I did. Tell I went to a challenge that. bookshop. There was a, I woke up in the morning, I decided I'm not going to cry anymore because nobody was backing me. And it was his fault as far as I was concerned. Um, but you don't have a slanging much just after preaching. <laughs> so I realized um, I didn't know how to lead. Nobody had taught me how to lead. And so I went to challenge bookshop, got a number of books on leadership, fell in love with leadership and that's how a call was birthed inside of me a burden for leaders i thought about all the other people like me poor people who didn't know how to lead they knew how to gather people i mean i could pray from morning to night that's what i did i did i studied this word and i prayed but i didn't know about vision and and direction and influence and and settling uh, um, um, conflict and 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 stewarding things accurately and excellence i didn't know about any of those things Nobody had taught me. Uh, so I began to read and I began to have a burden. I began to think how many others are like me who are frustrated, drowning themselves in tears, um, wondering if they had a call of God on their lives because they didn't know how to lead. And so I felt I came uh, just before I came to England. I felt like the Lord say, you need to go study more about leadership. You need to um, advance yourself in, 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 in biblical academics. So I came to London for a year and then I told my elders and leaders, I, I God's called me to America to study. And years have passed since and you have set up a, a ministry focusing on leadership, vision. Tell us about that. Before I even do, God said to me, the reason I was sending you to America is he says, one, you've walked in hope calling it faith yes. and I teach you how to walk in faith um, that was a whole different journey with God that was a revelation of God of his providence of trusting him which was so necessary for where I am now sometimes God takes us on a journey and we're frustrated then but he's I, I think he's just like um, Sergeant Pepper. You know, he wraps his hand and says, on the A-team, I love it when a plan comes together. And that was what he was doing. He was setting me up. And then secondly, I think he was molding me character-wise. He was molding me. He was opening my eyes to see how an organization is run. So even the place, the situation that I was in was necessary for my education. So, And then he said to me, he says, like Esther, if you'll humble yourself and allow people to mold and shape you, and, and shape your and influence your thinking and you allow me to process you, then when I see you just like the king did, I'll say, that's my woman, I recognize. And my life was never the same. My ministry changed from the time I left Ohio and came back to uh, London. I served, uh, pastored for many years after. And then in 2001, the Lord called me to start the Rehoboth Foundation, um, an organization that was set up to do three things, to first of all, call the church to strategic serving of, of, of the world systems, um, of, the, of, the, of the cosmos, of the, of the life in which we live. So whether it's judiciary, politics, business, um, it's just how do we occupy ourselves with stewarding those parts of our living? And then number two, developing solution-oriented, Christ-centered leaders. So not just leaders, leaders who have solutions for their communities um, and who serve on behalf of the King of Kings excellently, uh, in those spaces. And three, 
um, into social action, calling us into social action. So those are some of the things. And then, of course, into prayer. So those are the things that we do. We do the through mentoring to training, uh, through advocacy interventions. And then we have a global uh, uh, prayer group uh, community, actually, that meets every Friday night. Uh, from CEOs to governors of banks, they all come on to bishops and we all pray for our world, not just for, not for each other, but for nations and for continents and for global socioeconomic issues. Amazing, Celia. Uh, picking up on some of the things that you said, uh, so you, you said when you went to America uh, that two things, uh, character development uh, and humility, um, they are vital. They're vital in being a follower of Jesus, let alone leadership. Yeah. yeah. And um, tell us more about character development and and being humble about it the thing is this um god first gives man his nature before he gives him a task i think that's telling i think that is because he wants you to do it on his behalf in his nature he didn't give you a task before now if you're a leader if you're not careful you focus so much on the task on your gift on your talents on your anointing and then you don't do it the way he wants you to do it I think character is, uh, God says this to, I think it's in Matthew 20, and he says this to the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He says, the altar of your heart sanctifies the gift that you bring. It matters to God how you do things, the journey, the process yes. of doing things. The solution is not, the, the, the end is not as important as the journey. Would you do it as he did? He would want you to do it. Would you do it as him? That's what he gave you first, his nature. Um, and then secondly, sons also inherit not just the nature of their fathers, but the burden of their fathers. Yeah. So those two things are important. And so because I didn't start this thing, I'm representing someone. I'm stewarding someone on his behalf. The values, the ethics, the principles of that person is important because that's what I represent and I represent. As you reflect on that, Celia, what are the healthy components of good leadership? One, I think, is vision. Two, it's a conviction. I think you can have vision, but without conviction, you'll do it anyhow. I think a conviction. I think three, an empathy for people. Whether you're in the secular and you don't know God or you know God, that's very important. You're serving, and at the end of the day, uh, you're serving God, you're serving people, and identifying with those people. I like how um, if I had time, I would maybe develop the thought of incarnation, yes. uh, how the message says Christ moved into the neighborhood. Yeah. I think a lot of times we can do leadership without moving into the neighborhood. It can be a set of strategies and you forget the people. And so vision, uh, conviction, uh, I think humility, adaptability, flexibility, yes. empathy with the people. Uh, in the world that we live in right now, you cannot follow patterns. You cannot follow a uh, 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 methodology that we used yesterday. You've got to, the world calls it pivoting, but you can't pivot unless you're flexible in your heart and in your mind and adaptable. The story is told of, a, a, if you put um, a million dead flies into a glass vase 
and you put a, a, a frog in there, he will die of starvation. Why? Even though it, the frog eats flies, it's not adaptable. It's not flexible. It doesn't recognize food or foe if it's not moving. So it will die. If you, uh, because the fraud works with patterns. That's fascinating, Known isn't it? patterns. And the, but the bat, on the other hand, has such a flexible attitude. Apparently, it, it pivots and changes its direction as quickly, as fast, twice as fast as a flickling light bulb. The end of the matter is this. The frog can live between three to five years. The bat can live up to 50 years. Yes. Because it's flexible and adaptable. And I think in this world, we need to be flexible. We need to be adaptable. Jesus told us how to go, where to go, when to go. He told us the attitude with which to go. He never told us the methodology with which to go. So we need to be flexible and adaptable to be relevant. I think those are some of the issues uh, and, 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 and the priorities of focus that any leader has to have. It's where am I taking these people? So the vision, um, I'm reminded of that scripture, Sila, where it says Jesus only did what the Father wanted him to do. Yes. So he was able to see that yes. and he was able to discern it. And sometimes we lack discernment, don't we? Yes. We lack, is it discernment? Is it wisdom? Is it both? I think it's all. It's an ability to hear God and see God. Because the Bible says he did what he saw his Father do. I think that these days we pray for anointing. God, give me anointing. God, give me anointing. When I turn 40, I ask God for only two things. I ask him for a hearing ear and an obedient heart. Yes. Because I figured if I've got that, I want to be where he is. I don't want to be struggling doing my own thing. You can have an anointing and still do your own thing and not please him. Yes. But I want to hear. I want to see like Jesus. And so I think that that's the God strategy right there. And then where am I taking the people is not my opinion. It's the one who knows the future, has seen it all before, and then I am following him to take the people there. So vision really starts with what is God seeing? What is God's preferred future? And do I see the same thing? Celia, why is it that we struggle so much to hear God today? There are many voices. There are many voices. But let me start. I always start. I'm a foundational person. So I always start with what's God saying? What's the principle? The principle is this, that God knows if you don't hear his voice, you're finished. You're yes. damned. So I start to convince myself God is speaking. Now, how do I hear? The problem is that we think God doesn't want to speak to us. So once you start with that premise, you'll struggle to hear. The second thing is that he's not going to speak in a way that you obviously want him to speak. I wish that he would write on the wall. Man, that's so easy for me. But maybe he will speak through circumstances. Maybe he speaks through other people. He might speak through a song. He might speak through a challenge that you have. It's that openness. But one thing is that, one cardinal thing to remember is that God is always speaking. My sheep know my voice. Yeah. Without it, the, the whole thing about the shepherd sheep theology is trust. And it's about hearing that voice. It's about smelling. It's about seeing. So if God is not speaking, we're doomed. So he, I start from the premise that he is speaking. And how is he speaking? And then I also let myself know that God knows the difference between rebellion and when I can't hear. Yes. And yes. so he knows when I can hear and I'm rebelling and he knows when I can't hear and he'll help me hear. I might not like the journey or how he 
helps me to hear, but it'll help me hear. And I think that if we posture ourselves that way, we will hear God. We won't always hear him verbally in our ears because that's what we've been told. Sure. We won't always hear him when we're on our knees, but I can guarantee you, either way, you're going to hear yes. God, sense God, smell God. Um, one of the things that has helped me in my life is this. Um, a few years back, I had major surgery. And I remember God asked me why I do the things that I do. And I think it was just, we were in the room just before the anesthetist came. And it was a brief five minute, but a whole lot of my life flashed before me. I had a lot of time to reflect. And I remember from then on, whenever I wake up, I say, reporting for duty, sir. I say this, this is written of my, me in the volumes of your book. I have come, oh God, to do your will. And I lie in bed and I say, I report for duty, sir. It's a bit of a worry I mean. So I'm like, I'm reporting to my general. Now, as soon as I posture myself that way, I know that I have to follow. I have to listen out for instruction. And then I say, and I report for training and equipping. Yes. And then I report to bring you glory. So once I've reported, the person to whom I'm reporting has to give me something to say. He has to give me some direction. So all of these little posturings of mine help me to not always hear very easily, but whatever I sense, I'm going to flow with it and, and trust that if it's not his way, he has capacity to yank me back. Absolutely. Do you think, uh, Celia, um, with some leaders, the work of the Lord has become more important than the Lord of the work. It's a very easy trap to fall in because we're burdened every day. The pressure is there every single day. Again, foundationally, if you make it that, that's why I report for duty, because then what is he wanting me to do today? Am I happy to flow with the pressure? The pressure of the people will always be there. The pressure of the task, it's daunting. So. Go to the Lord, ask him. That's where prayer comes in. And it's not just prayer. It's also very easy to just pray about the work and not spend time with him. But intimacy with God is very important. It's in intimacy that revelation comes. I I heard somebody say many years ago while I was at Bible college, to be much for God, you've got to be much with God. Yes. (laughs) You know, so I say to be much for God, you've got to be much with God. So that intimacy, that... um, Uh, getting with God, whether it's just sitting down and singing, whether it's just reading the word, or whether it's even not saying anything, but just sitting in his presence. Be still. Be still. And know that I'm God. Yes. You know, it's his work. Yeah, that that, that verse, it it kind of reminds me that God might be saying, shut up. I think he does. (laughs) I'll tell you something. I'll tell you something that will make you laugh. I remember, uh, you know Bishop Hammond? Yes. So we're in a big conference with Bishop Hammond somewhere somewhere in the north several, several years ago about 15 years ago, and he calls me for it. And I thought, yeah, God's going to give me some great vision. He says, he said, daughter, when you get in the closet with me, you just go rub it, rub it. Will you shut up and let me get a word in? And I have never forgotten that. And it was so true. And I think many of us feel like we've got to talk about that work, talk about yes. the work. He's more concerned about the work than you are. Absolutely. He's the author of that work. And so just getting with him and, and, and getting with him, you, I love Second Corinthians 3 where it talks about we are beholding with unveiled face the glory of God. I've been transformed. It's the transformation that's important. It's not just the anointing. I love the anointing, but it's the transformation. It's the God of the anointing. It's thinking like him, feeling like him, being like him, reflecting him. I think that's it. I, you know what? I, 
to, to I want to be like Jesus. I want to step I in know. places where I I'm know. embodying him so much. And I think that's where we make the mistake. And I have made that mistake many times where I've loved the work. Yes, more, more than, than the, the Lord, Lord of, of the, the work. work. I know. Yeah. And there's a real it's danger. It's a very subtle thing. Yeah. And it's not a wicked thing. It's just subtle. I think it's part of Satan's strategy because then you get caught up in the work and you wake up in the morning and the tasks that I had um, are more important. You don't think they're more important. You don't actually say they're more important about spending time with God. Yes. But it creeps up on you. And before you know it, it, you've walked away. But the times that you spent with God, there's strategy, there's peace, there's direction, there's the opening of the eyes to see uh, there's wisdom coming to you. So it cuts short the dreariness and the and the stress of the work. Totally. And so many people in ministry, Celia, have got so many irons in the fire. They've actually put the fire out. And we, I think, need to take some irons out of the fire and stoke the fire up. That's what we need to do. Vision. What What's the second word? Vision. Conviction. Go on. Tell us conviction. a little bit more about that. You can have a vision. I could borrow your vision, but I may not have a conviction. The thing about a conviction is it holds you prisoner. I like how, I think when you hear a man's words, you can tell how his heart works. So I like how Paul says, if I didn't preach, I'd be all the more miserable. I have a conviction. I have a burden. Conviction comes out of your burden. You're driven by this thing. You're convinced of the outcome. You're convinced that you have to do it. It's where sacrifice is birthed. Now, if you're not convinced, if you're not convicted, if you're not held prisoner by this thing, you will run, you will compromise, you will be disloyal. And so I believe in conviction. Convict me. Let this thing be something that's possessing me. Let this service that I do, not because I want the post, not because... uh, or just because God called me, but I have a people to serve. Yes. There anymore. Vision, conviction. Thirdly? Empathy. What does that word mean? Do I feel what the people feel? Yes. Am I broken with the burden of the people? Because that's what drives us to intercession. What is it that makes you weak? What is it that makes you pass by? I think this is all part of the character of God we started with. I'm convinced that when Jesus said, when people came to him in Matthew 5 and said, uh, you know what, we, we healed in your name, we did this in your name, we worked miracles, and he says, go away, I don't know who you are. I think it was because he was saying, if you were really like me, you'd be, your heart would be broken with the same things that breaks my heart. Yes. I was in prison, you didn't clothe me, you didn't even see me as a naked person. I, you know what, I was hungry, you didn't feed me. There's an empathy. It's, it's, if you go through life professionally and you're not broken with the burden and the pain and the head of people, I'm afraid you'll be a monster leader. You know, and so that empathy is necessary. It's what yeah. drives us to our knees to, 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 to intercede for our broken world. It's what drives us not to judge our broken world, but to lay our broken world at the mercy seat of Jesus and say, God, move. It's what drives us to give our lives. It's empathy. 
It's what says, God, I won't shut up. I won't let down. I won't give up until you move in my area, until you do these things. Without it, you're just a shell. You're just like any secular leader. Empathy, even for a secular leader, is important. In today's world, leaders have to make a lot of decisions. There are some leaders who are going to have to lay people off after this. If you don't have empathy, you're going to be like Samson, who for, for outcome's sake, for bottom line's sake, Tied the, the tail of all those foxes let, and set fire on them. Let them lose. Destroyed Philistine come. Uh, mission accomplished. But what happened to the foxes? These are necessary traits for responsible, God-fearing leaders, for leaders who are successful. Success is not success when the people that delivered your highest, uh, your value is the human resource capital and you use them and you've got bottom line results, but they're crushed. Absolutely. And it's very, so very easy for us to use people yeah. as wow. a leader. Vision, conviction, empathy. Um, competence is important. Competence, of course. Competence, my dear. Competence. In, sh- you know, sharpening, shaping. Knowing how to do the job. That's why we say leaders are learners. We must know how to do the job. Um, and never stop learning. They never stop learning in a changing world like this. Gosh. Um, you know, you're... Okay, I'm going to use another biblical example sure. because that's how my mind thinks. So David comes on the scene where Goliath is making his boast and he starts to ask questions. Everybody says, shut up. What do you know? You, you know go back to the field where you came from, etc., etc." Everybody's asking, what's his pedigree? What are his qualifications? When David actually achieves the aim and, and, and kills Goliath, he doesn't put leadership on himself. People come up to him and say, Saul has slain his thousand, but you have slain your 10,000. Leadership is imposed on him. Leadership is all about influence. Influence comes with expert power, competence, and ability to deliver the goods. Even God, if you go through scripture and he's trying to build a tabernacle, he's identifying the leaders saying, well, they're good at this. They're artisans who are good at this. They have capacity also to train others to do so. And so in everything that we do, whether you're working for the government or a private company or your own business or for church, we need to be competent. We need to be competent at managing resources. We need to be competent at empowering people, at organizational infrastructure. All of those things are in scripture. Those were things that made Solomon a success, David a success. And dare I say the Holy Ghost, he's very competent at what he does. And so leadership has uh, competence challenges. And I think when competence is absence and character is absence, you lose influence. And when you lose influence, you lose leadership. These are important factors. My youngest son, Celia, went to uh, one of your conferences, a, a Young Leaders um, Young conference. and Emerging Leaders Forum. And he came back and I said, well, how did it go? He says, well, the host, he said, the host uh, and the speaker and the leader washed my feet. And I was like, what do you mean? And he said, you washed his feet. It's, it's about being a servant, it's isn't about it? Being, it, was, it was about being a servant. I always tell my people, Find a towel, not a title. And when you have that tight towel, find the messiest place to go to. It's where leadership is celebrated. I think it's such an honor. And, and once a year, 
We do this to signify to our young emerging leaders, it's not about your title, it's not about your post. You find the messiest, smelliest feet and you take your title, which is your gift, your opportunity, your graces, and you wash that feet. And we're happy because the person is clean. And so it's something that's not just symbolic for me, but an honor. I'm, I'm always going to remember that, Celia. Find a towel, towel, not, not a title. And when you found the title, find the messiest feet and wash it. You get the greatest satisfaction that way. I think that's what Jesus was talking about, about servant leadership. It's about looking for the messiest places. The great thing is that we chase after the wrong things. But I think once you find the messiest feet, God sends you every other equipping to be able to make that place cleaner. As someone says, uh, there's no such thing as an unholy place. There are only desecrated places that we're called to make holy. Celia, you're an absolute tonic and it's been a joy to have you on Facebook. Is it over already? Hasn't it gone quickly? <laughs> Thank quickly. you for joining us. You're very welcome. It's such an honour. Thank you for having me, sir. Wow. Honestly, I'm not going to forget that line. Find a towel, not a title. I hope that's inspired you. I hope that's encouraged you. And for all of us, those truths and wisdom that Celia shared with us to help us in our walk and for those of us who are in leadership to sharpen our leadership skills. Thank you so much for joining us on Facing the Canon. Please join us again. You've been listening to the J. John Podcast. To find out more about J. John's ministry, visit www.canonjjohn.com and follow him on social media. If you could ask God anything, what would you ask? Life is full of big questions. In his brand new book, Will I Be Fat in Heaven? and Other Curious Questions, J. John answers 38 questions that we ask about God, the Bible, the world, and everything in between. How can God the Father, Jesus and the Holy Spirit be one? Why do we believe the Bible is true? Will we recognise family and friends in heaven? And life's ultimate question, does God care about me? Get your copy now at canonjjohn.com.